that throughout scripture, there was always a teaching, believing, understanding, repenting, a decision being made. We don't feel like infants are capable of doing that. So scripturally, we feel like what we see is that, well, what age does someone get baptized? Whatever age, they can make that decision and, and, and understand that for themselves. So what this is, is it's really geared more at the parents or the guardians. Uh, it is them saying, I am dedicating my child. I've already dedicated myself to God, but I'm dedicating my child to God. I'm dedicating myself to the fact that I'm going to raise my child in the fear and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm just going to preach a message here that's really geared kind of at parents and at parenting, and I do that intentionally. And I love these baby dedications because they're memorable, and we'll have a gift, and we're going to call up parents and family members and children, and we're going to pray over them as we wrap up here today. But first, I want to just talk to you for a few minutes. And before Israel, before Israel had kings and Israel first had priests, and all of the other nations, they were, led by, they were led by kings, but it was God's plan and that the covenant nation of Israel would be led by prophets and priests. And so the priests would teach and mentor their children. At that time, it was their sons, but they, they, they could lead the next generation then. And in the Old Testament, there was a man named Eli. Eli was the high priest, uh, and he had sons. But one of our biggest keys to understanding Eli was to understand Samuel. Samuel was a young boy. His mother took him to the house of the Lord where he lived with Eli. His mom did this because Hannah couldn't have children, and she's weeping to God, and if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you. So God blesses her womb, and she gives birth to a son, and she keeps her word. I imagine that would have been pretty tough. You know, that's still kind of tough these days, when you raise a child and the child then steps into ministry, I can't imagine what that would feel like. On one hand, when your child moves away to Africa or to, to Asia to go be a missionary and take the gospel to an overseas country, you're probably on one hand going, I'm so proud of my child. And on another hand, you're going, oh, but my heart is breaking because I know I'm not going to be able to see that child and grandchildren. I'll never forget when I first told my parents with our seven-month-old daughter. They had wanted grandkids, finally got their first granddaughter, and I said, we're moving to Kansas City area, and you're not going to see your granddaughter as much as you thought. So then my mom just decided to move here herself. <laughs> but so she has Samuel, and she gives him to the tabernacle. She gives him to the high priest, Eli. And so Eli raises Samuel, and today I want to talk about this. Our most important ministry, our most important ministry. Lord, we love you, God, and thank you so much for every man, woman, and child that is in this place, watching online, maybe going to tune in later. Lord, your word's alive. It's powerful. It doesn't need help, but I'm a man. I can mess it up. I can get in the way, so please help me to deliver the word the way you laid it on my heart. Lord, you'd speak through me that our hearts and minds would receive from you today that this wouldn't just be another tradition that we just call kids up, pray over them, and they leave. Let, it, let something be said and felt that would change our lives, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. You see, Eli served as a mentor, really as a father figure uh, to Samuel. Samuel would end up being the last judge of Israel and a mighty prophet of the Lord. Samuel becomes such a key figure 
in Israel's history. He's the one who the Lord sends to anoint Saul as Saul is the first king of Israel. And when the Lord rejects Saul, then God says to Samuel, go anoint a new king. And that becomes woo, King David. But the two Old Testament books, there's even two Old Testament books that are named after this prophet Samuel. And looking back, Eli was designed by God to be a mentor, to be a mentor to this young man who would have such a large role in his people, in the history of his people. And so Eli, but Eli, he did have his own sons, but they weren't qualified to be priests because they didn't know the Lord. How sad to be the high priest of Israel and you're called to mentor someone else and you're called to lead the people, but your own children are out of line. And we read about this in 1 Samuel 2. It says, now the sons of Eli were scoundrels. I mean, whoa, that's a, that's a great start. I could just see me introducing, going to a next missions conference and say, I'd like you to meet my scoundrels, uh, you know? I mean, like, that's not what you want to say. Who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as the priest. So they didn't respect ministry, and they didn't respect God. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork. And while the meat of the sacrificed animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork in the pot and demand that whatever it brought up was given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would even come before the animal's fat had burned on the altar. This is all Old Testament law stuff, very clear guidelines for this. And he would demand raw meat before it had even been boiled so it could be used for roasting. The man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat, it's got to be burned first. And then the servant would demand it and say, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. Because the fat needed to be burned out, boiled out, according to the law of Moses. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight. For they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. This might not sound like a big deal. Like, who cares? They grabbed the meat before it was done. I like medium rare too. No, it was much more than that. It was much more than that. It might be the equivalent of me, after you guys leave, I say to my kids, I say, hey guys, let's go find the offering plates and play in it, and you can take whatever you want. Never, never would we do that. There was, that's, not, that's not even mine, that's not ours. But this is Eli's sons, this kind of the equivalent, this offering brought to God, and yeah, go grab the three-pronged fork and get me some. But the sins of Eli, his sons, didn't stop there. 1 Samuel 2.22 says, Eli was very old. He was aware what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He was not unaware, he was aware. He knew, for instance, he knew his sons were seducing the young women who assisted the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to him, hey, guys, I've been hearing reports from the people about the wicked things you're doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. But that was it. They kept going after that. I don't know about you, but if your kids are playing in the offering and your kids are seducing people in the church, 
I think if we're any good parents would say, you ain't, you ain't going to do that no more. He says, guys, you should stop. That's not a good idea. His sons weren't only stealing the sacrifice, but they're having intimate relations with women who served at the tabernacle. And Eli knows about it, but he does nothing about it. Eli was a spiritual leader, but he did not give attention to his own children. He did not mentor or teach them to love, honor, and revere the Lord. So the Lord sends Eli a message in 1 Samuel 2.27. He says, one day a man of God came to Eli and gave him a message from the Lord. Why? Because you know what? Sometimes men of God and women of God still need messages from men and women of God. And he comes and he says, I revealed myself to your ancestors when they were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. I chose your ancestor Aaron from among all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer sacrifices on my altar, to burn incense, wear the priestly vest as he served me, and I assigned the sacrificial offerings to your priests. So why, he, he's saying, you are doing what you're doing because I ordained you to do that. Sometimes, don't forget church, no matter what ministry you are doing, you are doing it because God ordained you to do that ministry. And sometimes when it gets mundane and ordinary and old and you get tired, don't forget when you show up early to clean the church, you show up early to prepare a Sunday school room, you show up early to practice singing a song, you are doing it because you have been ordained by God to do that. And he said, I assign sacrificial offerings to you, so why do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Why do you give your sons more honor than you give me? When we allow our children to live a life that is contrary to the word, principles, and law of God, we are giving our children more honor than we are giving God. He says, for they, you and they, have become fat from the best offerings of my people. You and they. Eli's like, well, I didn't eat the fat. But you allowed your children to contradict my law, therefore you are guilty too. Parenting is a beautiful thing. But it's also a scary thing. Because there's no greater, I'm standing in a pulpit, I feel very honored that God would call me to stand here and, and discuss the word of the Lord, knowing that I understand that I have a certain authority when I break the scripture and explain these things. That's an honor to me. But there's no greater honor that God has given me in this whole world than to entrust with me three souls that I call my children. There's nothing in this world that's a greater privilege than that, but also a great responsibility. You see, Eli was so busy doing the work of ministry that he forgot his most important ministry. He forgot about his own home, his own children, and he allowed them to break the laws of God and then refused to discipline them. And yes, I will say, Scripture, we could go in depth in this, but yes, Scripture does call us to discipline our children with love. Not with anger, with love. 
Proverbs 19, 18 says, Discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. Let's just look at that for a moment. I don't need to preach that, explain that, break that down. That's pretty clear. We got to do it. We got to do it. And all the children said amen. I didn't think, I thought that would be the way that'd go. At least they're listening. Folks, Eli was held responsible for the unbelief of his sons in the, in the sense he says, you and them. He got lumped in together there. He refused to discipline them. Instead of fathering his sons like God commanded him to, he let them slide and get away with all kinds of things. So, well, my children didn't want to do this, and they're not interested in that. How old are they? Oh, they're 8, they're 9, they're 11, they're 13. I give them their privacy. What? What? I am called. Yes, I want to be friends with my kids, but when it comes down to friend or daddy, I am daddy first. And that's important. Why? Because this is why God gives this command in the New Testament. He says in 1 Timothy 3, 4, he says, he must manage, this is qualifications for church leadership. Look what it says. He must, verse 4, he must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his household, how can he take care of God's church? So I feel challenged by that too because my first ministry has to be my family. So because of Eli's lack of response, God gives Samuel a message in 1 Samuel 3.12 because Eli's not doing anything with it. Verse 12, I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. You know, God sent that person to, to, to say something to Eli. I wish the next verse we would have saw Eli said, and he left that and he took care of it. He hears a message from God himself and nothing changes. Don't hear a message from God himself and not change anything. And he says, I'm going to carry out, he tells, uh, from the beginning to the end, I've warned him that judgment's coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God. He hasn't disciplined them. So I vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Oh, but I work in the temple. I sacrifice regularly. I sacrifice in ministry. I sacrifice in time. I sacrifice in finance. I sacrifice in resource. But just like God later says in Samuel to Saul, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. You could be in every single ministry of this church. I don't know how you'd do it, but you could be in every ministry that this church has to offer. And if we don't align our lives and our households in obedience, the offerings and the sacrifices don't matter. You know, every mistake has a halfway moment. 
every mistake. Anybody ever got yourself into a jam and you just realize like, eh, maybe you're building something? I think I just like built my first thing like two years ago. Before then, I just had a Walmart hammer and that did it for the first 35 years of my life. <laughs> but you get to that moment and you're like, all right, the board goes crooked. I did this with the help of some of these guys here. So you put up this board, and this board goes crooked. So now you have a gap down here, and he's like, eh, it doesn't look that bad. It's only a little one. But the problem is, when you start this row, it plays off that gap. And so does this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, all the way up. And so you have that moment where you're like, all right, should I pull it back down and slow down and start over, which no guy likes to do, okay? Like, you'd rather, us guys sometimes are so dumb that we'll take the thing and hit it and pull it and grab some, hey, grab that side, you work on that, and you could have already done it right. But we don't, we're just like, no, I'm going to get this. It's like it becomes a competition. Me versus the board, the board's going to lose. mistake has a halfway moment, that moment that you reach and you go, hmm, it's that split second when you're out there and that, that man comes up to you and kind of makes an advance at you or that lady slips you her number as a married man and you take it and you go, huh, that you say, huh, I'm at that halfway point, what do I do with this now? Have a mo you have that point where you make your decisions. Eli crossed that line. Scripture tells us that God had given him numerous warnings, numerous opportunities to repent. And it's a sad reality, but one we must think about. Our children are going to learn how and when to repent based on when they see mom and dad repent. They're going to learn how and when to give, how and when to worship, how and when to serve in ministry. They watch, they look, they see, hey, is it okay to, to skip church? Is it okay to come to church light? Is it okay to worship this way? Is it okay to not serve in ministry? Is it okay to only do things half-hearted? What's okay and what's not? The kids watch and they learn a better, they learn from the sermons of our life more than our lips. What was needed here was a rapid response to the sin that was in the home. But Eli kept going through with no response. And, and it's a classic simple symptom of a passive parent. One that is aware of an issue, pleads with the child. Please, baby, please, honey, don't do that. And you go, whoa. I just, I can't imagine an officer pulling up to my car and going, please don't speed. I'm just asking you. Please don't go through red lights. You seem so nice. And if you want, if you want, I'll even give you a bubble gum and a baseball card. Please, please just obey the laws. No, they're the authority. They walk up and we're already knees knocking together and we see the lights and, our, and we're going, oh, and then we start taking pictures like this of the thing, trying to put it on Facebook and Twitter. I just got pulled over. And like people do these crazy stuff. But they're the ones that say, walk up with all authority. Hello, license and registration, please. That, I mean, not that I've ever been pulled over. That's just what I hear. And, uh, and so 
They have that authority. They have that, they know. So God has given you as the parent. He's given us the authority. Now I teach my kids manners. I'll say, can you please hand me that? Can you please go get that for me? I think, I think respect should go both ways in a home. Just because my child is 10, 7, 4 doesn't mean I don't, I, don't, I don't owe you any respect. No, I'm teaching respect when I give respect. But when it comes to don't do that, I don't have to say, oh, please, honey, please don't do that anymore. It's don't do that. You just directly defied me. So guess what the scriptures say? It says discipline will save your life. And I'm here to help. You know, it's interesting, though, is people that say, I'm just passive. I'm just passive. I'm, I'm kind of a passive parent. Well, but then those passive parents aren't passive when it comes to career. Not passive when it comes to fitness. Not passive when it comes to schooling. But when it comes to stepping in and giving child loving hand or discipline, they somehow just sit back and hope it all works out. But in doing this, we're allowing certain spirits to remain in our home that need to be driven out. Our children, hear me when I say our children are a battle worth fighting for. Our children. Sometimes that battle's with the enemy and we're praying over them and covering them. Sometimes the battle is with each other. Because every day, if you say the line is right here, I mean, literally, I, we, 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 I had a decision to let something pass or not. I don't even know if you saw this. We were walking in. We took the North American missionaries to Dolly Stampede. It's not Dixie. It's a Dolly. Dolly Stampede and took them in there. And we were walking in, and there was a motorcycle there, a three-wheel motorcycle. And my boys were like, yeah, you know. And I'm kind of like, yeah. And my wife's like, keep walking. <laughs> so, so, uh. I was like, they like want to jump on it, ride, and I'm like, guys, this is not even, we don't even know who drives this. Okay, let's just go. And we're walking in, just real quick, just in passing. And uh, I'm definitely not a perfect parent. I think I did it right this time, though. But we're walking by, and I said, don't even touch it. We don't even know if there's an alarm on that thing or anything. Just keep walking. Sounded good to me. So we keep walking. And Titus. <laughs> Do I even need to tell the rest of the story? And so he stops. And I'm watching this kid like, uh-oh. You just know, a parent's like, here's the line. It happened with Adam and Eve. Like, here's the line. We're like, hmm. <laughs> Has God said? <laughs> so, Titus, I'm watching him just for this. It, it, this is all real split second. He literally goes like this. <laughs> One finger, that hard. He turns around and looks at me like he's proud of himself a little bit. He's like, he's like, no alarm. So the, the, the group is already up ahead. I don't even, she didn't even know this happened. Like the group's already up there. And I'm kind of lagging behind and I'm like, it really wasn't a big deal. The dude might have a fingerprint on his bike now, but. It might be a big deal to me if I had a motorcycle, but it wasn't a big deal. And so I was like, let's go. And I stopped. And I was like, it was a big deal. 
It was a big deal because I gave a instruction. It was a mistake. It was, a, it was direct defiance to what I just said. So I stopped, and I grabbed my beer. I'm going to pull him back, and I said, what did Daddy just tell you about that? He said, don't cuss. I said, what did you just do? And I, and I tried to say, now let me talk to you about the grace of Jesus. <laughs> because Daddy's going to give you grace. I said, that means that I'm not going to spank you right now. I'm not going to. If, if you defy me, what I just said again, you're going to be in trouble. I said, do not disobey what I just said. And that was good. And we, we coasted past that moment. But I had to stop because otherwise, we are the first line of understanding who Jesus is. And when we say something with absolutely no expectation that they're actually going to listen, they start to identify things down in line. What about authority? What about God? What about God? I mean, do I really have to follow all of the things? Because there's certain things I can't. When I don't feel like it, I don't do it. No, if I say don't touch the motorcycle, I have to love them enough to stop everything else and say, I've got to teach you something right now. You just defied the law that I laid down. And not an authoritarian, I'm the law around here. But it's the way that God has designed the home to be. And so that's important there. And that's something that I've, I've kind of learned here on child three. If I have nine more, maybe I'll actually have, be able to preach a real good message later on in life. So you're going to have to get that message from someone else. <laughs> the tragedy in Eli's story is none of this needed to happen. Eli wouldn't step up to the plate and do his most important work. He was willing to take time to minister to everyone else. But just hope family works out okay. But let's face it, the same epidemic that sneaks in Back then, sneaks in today, he loved the ministry more than he loved the hard work of raising family. I wish Eli is a crazy one in a million story and we never see this anymore. But in the 21st century, I'm trying more than ever because I get busy and pull different directions. And sometimes you might look and just next week you might be like man lord the guy just preached about his family look at his kids over there i am not saying i am perfect but i'm saying i'm aware and i need to try because even me in the ministry of all the things i love you i love your families i want to minister to your family i want to pray with you but sometimes i need to stop and say hang on a second my son's over here climbing on something that i told him not to climb on and i need to go spank some bottoms right now why? Because somewhere Eli forgot that his family was his first and most important ministry. Children aren't a burden that weigh us down from ministry. I have friends, some of them great friends, that we go to a lot of events, whether it's a conference, serving North American missions, we go to a lot of events and retreats and we help plan some of these things. And some of our friends don't bring their children. Almost always, we bring our children to every single event. That's not because I just enjoy chasing them around at conferences. 
I can't say that every camp meeting and conference and retreat that, oh, it was just such a blessing to have my children. I mean, like sometimes they're in the room and they're going, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm turn the air up, who am I sleeping by? And like, I, we don't get sleep and then they run around and we're trying to have a conversation. I mean, like, but I want my kids to grow up. And I, and I heard a saying once in a, in, a, in a book, I never want my children to hate ministry because of me. never want my children to hate ministry because of me. So I want them to know it's not this is our life and you need to stay at home. This is our life. This is what we do. We're blessed to do this. We're blessed to serve. Because although I love all of you and I love what I do, there's nothing I love more than this. Because this is what's most important. And so, we can't neglect our families while we aim to do other things, even if it's work for God's kingdom. There's nothing in this world that should hold on, we should hold on to, at the expense of our children's spiritual or emotional well-being. Eli's neglect cost him not only his life, but the lives of his own kids. And you would think that Samuel, growing up seeing this, Samuel would have been like, oh man, never, I'm never going to let that happen. Wow, I can't believe these guys, they are knuckleheads, holy cow. But unfortunately, we go to 1 Samuel 8, 1, and as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons, Samuel's got kids now, woo, let's see how that goes. He appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abijah, his son, oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. I'll tell you what, three of the things over and over that I see get people over and over again, especially even those in ministry, it's three things. It's opposite sex, money, and power. Those are the three things we got to guard ourselves against. Why am, I, why am I focusing so much on ministry? Because I'm talking to some families today who are currently ministering, and God has greater plans for you to minister. So this is going to be your life. And so there has to be safeguards and awareness that we set up right now as we raise our children. And so, what? Wait a second. Samuel? He did, what? He, what? He learned from Eli. Careful whose voices you allow in your life. Just because I have sons doesn't mean either one of them or even Kiera. No, it, doesn't, it does not mean that Kiera, Jude, Titus, they're going to be in leadership in this church. I don't sit and ask them, when are you guys going to take over? When are you guys going to do this? When are you guys going to do that? They ain't going to do nothing unless they demonstrate godly character and a pursuit of Jesus Christ. Just because people force their sons or daughters into spiritual leadership doesn't mean it's the will of God. Samuel now has evil, disobedient sons, and look what happens in 1 Samuel 8, 4. Finally, the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Why didn't he handle it himself? 
That's got to be an awkward conversation. Let's go talk to Samuel. He's the judge. We need to go, we need to go talk to him. Look, they told him, you're old now. Wow, okay, let's get into it. And your sons aren't like you. Give us a king to judge like all the other nations have. This right here is a huge moment in the history of Israel. This conversation right here. It's not when you anoint Saul. It's this moment right here. This conversation is the, is the biggest moment. The reason the people wanted a king to lead them instead of the sons of Samuel was because he had failed in his role as a father to mentor his sons. If he had done his job at home, they might not have been looking for a king. Is it possible to be in a position of significant spiritual leadership and lose your family? Both Eli and Samuel lost their families while being the most significant spokesperson for God in their day. Our ministry to God's people is never a substitute for our ministry from God that he entrusted to us when he gave us a family. Hear me, and I'm almost done today. There is no raise. There is no promotion. There is no relationship. There's no financial investment and not even ministry that is worth our children. There's nothing. There's nothing. I talk to parents that say, hey, yeah, I'm moving across the country. I got, I got an extra $250 an hour raise. Okay, great. What church are you going to? I don't know yet. Well, have you searched out the area? Not really. Is there a, is there a church there? I haven't looked. What? So I'm willing to risk my children, their walk with God, the principles, the godly things I've tried to instill, because I may, I might make. What's two fifty times forty times fifty-two? I might make that extra in a year. Not worth it. Yeah, but I'm going to move from management to upper level management. Is there a church there? What's your plan for spiritual growth? I don't have one. Not worth it. In ancient times, ungodly civilizations would regularly sacrifice their children on altars. They would take their children and put them on the fire, and they would literally kill and sacrifice their children on altars in ancient civilizations. That's why we read the story of Abraham. Abraham, take your son, your only son, take him out of Moriah. You're going to sacrifice him all. We're like, what in the world is going on? To him, that was, that was the norm of the day. All the other ancient religions were doing it. So God is testing Abraham's faith. Abraham leaves the next morning, takes his son, says, we're going up there. And he lays his son down at an altar, and he is getting ready to kill him. Because it's what God asked. Like the other gods. But the one true Jehovah God of Israel stops and says, stop it. Knock it off. You ain't killing your kid. That's not what I would ever call for. I don't care if all the other demonic religions are doing that. I'm never, hear me when I say, God 
will never call you to sacrifice your children for anything. Oh, I'm not just talking about the literal altar and a knife now. I'm talking about life. The Lord will never call you to sacrifice your child for anything. Because that is our first and most important ministry. And so, I'm speaking to Kevin and Leslie, Andrew and Whitney, and Mark this morning. People who are currently serving, people who are stepping into leadership positions, currently leading, who are going to be leading in the next few years here, and maybe even leading somewhere else. Are you planting your own church? Are you evangelizing? Missionary, I, I, I'm not going to put limits on anything. I'm talking to some great people who have incredible testimonies and God's done great. God has great plans for you. And he wants to accomplish great things. And sometimes we think through our lens. But God not only wants to accomplish great things in you, but through your children too. We don't think about that sometimes. We think about our responsibility you come up here and, and you're like, huh, I'm going to bring them up here. Can Charlotte bring Isabel? I'm going to bring them up here. And we're thinking of this moment in church and getting hungry and wondering how long this message is going to go. And God's going, I not only have plans for you, but when that child was in the womb, I looked. I saw her, and I have plans for her too. But so much of those plans is predicated on what I allow and don't allow. If Eli and Samuel had focused first and foremost on their most important ministry, their calling as a father, a parent, leader of their home, there may have never been a need for a king in Israel. At least not the king beyond the one they already had. That was Jehovah. Their sons would have provided the leadership that the nation so desperately need. When these two men lost their sons, they lost a, a whole lot more. You and I are going to make mistakes. That's you, me, all of us are going to make mistakes. But what do you do when you realize you've fallen short? What would have happened if Eli would have been willing to own up to poor parenting? If he would have even gotten up and said, listen, there's been things, some things going on in the temple here lately. And I take responsibility and my boys aren't going to be in this position if it's going to continue. And I'm asking that you'd forgive me because we need to repent and we need to come back to God. And we need to change some things and, and I'm going to start in my own house. I think the fire of God would have fell, but not in judgment, but in revival. What do you realize what, what would have happened? What would have happened if he had, had he heeded the warnings, disciplined his boy? He was Samuel's primary mentor. He would have taught something to Samuel, and maybe Samuel would have followed suit. The difference between a good parent and a bad parent is not perfection. 
The difference is the ability to recognize your, recognize your mistakes and to learn from them and then to be willing to find a place of repentance immediately. I'm not going to put it off another day. I don't need to tell my kids I'm sorry. They're kids. Hey, I'll tell you what. There's times I go into their room at night at bedtime and say, you know when daddy said this? You know when daddy got angry? You know when daddy did this or daddy didn't do this? I want to tell you I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry that I did that because I made a mistake. What I'm teaching them is how to have humility, how to say you're wrong, how to say you're sorry, how to see grace. Because at the end of the day, our children need to know how to recover from poor choices and mistakes. Our kids, are, they're going to make them just like we made and still make them. So they got to know, how do I recover? I just act like I didn't happen. I don't owe mommy an apology because I'm the man around this house and she knows that I probably shouldn't. We're fine like that. No, they need to see because one of the greatest things you can do for your kids is to have a strong, great marriage. And so they need to see that when we say, I'm sorry, honey, I'm sorry, guys, I made a mistake, let's go to an altar, daddy messed up, mommy messed up, they're learning, hey, I don't have to be perfect, but I do have to find repentance, I do have to admit when I'm wrong, I'll never forget when my dad said to me, Gary, I'd say, well, my friend did this, and Craig did this, and, and Adam did this, and all my friends did that, and he'd say, Gary, stop, just stop talking, he'd say, one of the marks of a true man is when he admits that he's wrong without any qualifications he said try and say this go I'm sorry and I'd say I'm sorry but stop well dad I'm done no stop just say I'm sorry I'm sorry but you don't uh, stop and he started to try and teach me this I think I might get it here in the next few years maybe it started in the book of Genesis the woman you gave me it was the serpent we're great at passing the buck it's a talent that's been around for thousands of years. But our kids need to know, I'm going to mess up. But I know how to make it right. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to right the wrong. I'm going to fix. If I need to pull the boys off that temple, temple gate, you ain't going to stay. Are you, are you, have you lost your mind? What did you do? Go home. You ain't in this position anymore. Because God called me to this place with a loving hand. So we have to ask ourselves today as we close this, how quick are we to respond when God convicts us of weights and sins? How quick? Do we reason it away, push it under? Ah, forget it. Ah. Next time I'm at church, I probably should, I probably should say a prayer. Eli and Samuel were slow to respond. The Lord had spoken to each of them time and time again, but they didn't respond, and they knew what the Lord wanted them to do, but for some reason they put it off and said, it'll be okay, I'll handle it another time, they'll be all right, they're just kids, I'm busy right now with ministry. I gotta get to the temple, they're waiting on me for the sacrifice. I lead the procession into the temple, I take care of all these things. Now the first thing, you need to take care of. First thing I need to take care of is my children. Why? Because parents, God's going to speak to you before he speaks 
He's going to speak to you for your kids before he speaks to anybody else. He's called me to lead my children, you to lead yours. When we mess up, don't put the sin on hold. Let the children see what repentance and restoration look like. One man said this, by delay of repentance, sin strengthens and the heart hardens. The longer ice freezes, the harder it is to be broken. Don't let the ice break. Don't let ice build up. The way we parent our children, the children whom God blessed us with, that will truly determine the future of not only this church, but even the community in this area in general. So as parents, as we get ready to stand, I ask, we, ask, we must ask ourselves two questions. What am I allowing in my heart? And what am I allowing in my home? Because that's going to dictate so much. The culture of your home, the outlook of your children. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray over these parents because they say, oh, it takes a village. It really does. I mean, like, we're all in this together. We're one huge body. Yeah, we have family units. But you know what? I'm going to do my best, but I'm so thankful for nursery staff and children's ministry and youth workers and other teachers. I'm thankful that for you when you greet my kids and hug them and tell them that you appreciate them, you love them, and and I appreciate you when they start trying to leave the building. You say, get back in there. You know better. I, that's great. We work together. But today, I want to call some people to the front. We're going to pray over a few families. The first one is Brother Kevin and Sister Leslie Weisgerber. And guess what? Charlotte Ann Weisgerber, she can fly. <laughs> Come on up here, guys. And I'd like to invite any family that's visiting, aunts, uncles, grandpas, grandmas, nanas, papas, ninis, whatever you call you, okay? I mean, like, come on up here. Hey, guys, so come on. You know what's pretty neat about this? Is this is the first family I can say to look at a nice sized family of five and say, I've been here now 10 years and I have now dedicated all three of their children. So that's neat for me personally because I feel like we have a special bond. I love this family very much. But as always, what we do is there's a handwritten note from me to Charlotte that I know she's not going to really probably appreciate it very much now, but I'm hoping someday. And then a nice book, Dear Mom and Dad. It's a book kind of written for the ch from the child's perspective to Mom and Dad, a great book. And then the dedication certificate. What do you think? You like that? Do that? Oh, that's, that's, oh you want to hold it? There you go. 
That's great. Oh, okay. We better not do that. Okay. That's great. And the second family, Emma Marie Cannon. With Andrew Whitney, bring the whole family if they're all willing. Friends, it's a party. Come on. I realize once we get the families up here, you're on a time clock. Because at any moment, you've been hungry for 30 minutes thinking about food. Today, it just goes on like that, and it's over. So same thing, there is a letter written in the beginning of that Bible. Read this book. It's a great book. It's a short little read. And then you want to hold that? Check that out. You like that? We've gotten to know Andrew and Whitney, and I think anybody that knows them has come to love this family. Love this family. And Isabella Diane Slate, Mark came into the church about eight or nine months ago. And so it's not just a baby dedication, it's a child dedication, because Mark has dedicated his own life to God. But he's sitting here saying, I'm dedicating myself to be a better father. I'm dedicating myself to teach Isabella everything that I can about the Lord Jesus Christ. And me and Mark, we got to do the discipleship course together, and I've got to hang out with this guy, I love this guy. And Isabella, we love you too. So there's a little letter in that Bible for you. There's that book. And then here's the certificate. So here's what we're going to do. I want you guys to face me, please, because at this time I want to lay a charge before you. You know, when you get married, you take vows and you repeat these things before God and humankind. I think that this is a vow, too, that's pretty important. So if you could, the charge is that we will do our very best to teach and instill Jesus Christ and a love for our Savior and our children. That we will bring our children to the house of the Lord consistently so that these girls, I don't have any boys this time, can learn to be faithful, to worship, his or, worship her creator without reservation or shame, to repent of her sins in an effort to overcome the sinful nature of the flesh, to enjoy fellowship, unity of the saints, to be fed regularly from the word of the Lord in order to grow in faith. To love God with all her heart. You're never going to be a perfect parent. If you, if, if you thought the prayer and coming up here was going to help with that, then I'm coming down there and getting prayed for too. You're never going to be a perfect parent, but you can be a praying parent. And so, the charge to the parents, Kevin and Leslie, Mark, Andrew and Whitney, will you pledge to live as role models before Isabella, Charlotte, Emma, to make your home a little sanctuary where they can see Christ in you, to see that these girls are taken to church and taught godly principles of truth, to pray for their salvation when they reach the age of understanding that 
you would be the one to urge her and lead her to God's altar and to still in her character and integrity. If you're willing before God and humankind to say, I'm going to do that, I want you to just say, I will. See, there's principles here, not just in the message, but in those charge, in that commitment of everything that I just said. I'm going to do these things. And you've just said, I will do those things. Now, there's a body here that's willing to help because we're all in this together. And the parenting thing, man, it's hard sometimes. And so right now, we're going to pray. And I want to, I want, if the family, if you family, friends, if you want to gather around them, because we want to pray for them. Yeah, we want to pray for the baby. That's great. But really, what this, these children become is going to be indicative of, of what the, what's in the parents' heart in so many ways. And so right now, if you could, the families are around them. I'm going to open up this altar because everyone can come and pray. I got the families already here. But I know that some of you are parents. You're not dedicating a child today. But maybe something in that message spoke to you to where you say, you know what? Man, I want that. I want to remember what my most important ministry is. If you don't have children, don't leave. Please, come and pray. Maybe you have grown children. You really got to pray. You know what it takes. Come and pray for these families. If you say, well, I don't know who to pray for. I have three kids. Please pray for me. And let's approach an altar right now as we begin to pray for these three families that are dedicating these children today. Jesus, in your name, oh God. Her for 